Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM Coach, and this is episode 129. The Weekly Word Podcast is an ultra-endurance resource. On this podcast, we talk more than just training. Each episode, I try to dive into all aspects of ultra-endurance, strength, recovery, nutrition, mindset, and sleep, what I call regeneration. I train some of the most extreme ultra-endurance athletes in the world. And here is the nuance. Most of them also have a full-time job and family. Not only are their adventures extreme, but they all went pro in something other than ultra-endurance. Over the years, I feel pretty good diving into topics such as training, its modality, as well as mindset, strength, recovery, and even sleep. I've had formal coaching on all through the years of swimming at the highest level, as well as coaching for the past 30 years. But as I have often said on this podcast, I believe the final frontier in individual endurance performance is nutrition. And lucky for me, I've been immersed in that world for the past five to six years, daily, because I live and love a nutritionist. One who does the ultra endurance events, one who has struggled with nutrition herself and therefore did a deep dive into the field. Not only studying nutrition, but consistently experimenting and adopting different functional medicine principles. This has benefited me greatly over the years, and having this expertise within my life has not only allowed me to live healthier, I'm also fitter, stronger, and may argue better. So I'm happy to finally introduce Emily properly to the podcast. As a nutritionist for many of my athletes, she has also gained additional expertise in the ultra-endurance world beyond her own endeavors of 50 milers and 100 Ks. Combine that with her other field of nutritional health consulting in the corporate world, Emily not only works individual plans, let's say of my athletes, but also broader topics for hundreds of clients as well. Welcome to the Nutrition Podcast of the Weekly Word. So welcome. Thank you. So we've had a little bit of a, a tumultuous few days because of um, a running injury. Yes. Thank you all for your well wishes. And part of that is that we're now on the couch, <laughs> not in an office with the microphone working properly. Um, well, it should be working properly, but... Um, you can't really sit on a chair. So you're a little bit further away and we sort of rigged up a little area here that we can record the nutrition podcast. Yes, lots of nutrition work going on for recovery and repair. Of yeah, this. for you and for, for, for all of us. <laughs> Chris doing a little extra cooking. Yes, and learning. But um, that being said though, uh, you were working through your hamstring, which we know there's a muscle tear of some sort. We had the MRI yesterday, and uh, now we're waiting to see the orthopedic surgeon or a former orthopedic surgeon who now runs a practice, and she'll give us the full diagnosis insight tonight once we give her the MRI disc that you took yesterday. Yep. I will find out my fate. For the next few months. Tonight. Hopefully no surgery, um, but... Going by the pain thre- the pain you've been in the last few days, I don't think uh, it's going to be a small... It's not quick. It's yeah, not a no. quick recovery. That no. is for sure. 
So also with that, um, we have been, we, we came out of, and we were going to talk about this on the podcast, and it seems so long ago, but we um, had just fasted for a week. Yes. And uh, in prep. So we have Attilo Swim Run Catalina this weekend. No Not longer we. a we. <laughs> no, no, no we anymore. <laughs> and uh, well, the irony was also that you had a partner who got injured two days before you got injured. She needed a cast on her wrist because she had a broken wrist. So you were already... Um, a little hesitant with the race and what was going on and needing to find a partner. And then <laughs> your injury happened literally on our last focused run before the race. Yep. And uh, so that takes care of that. You were not yes, meant this, to do it. This race was not meant to be. No. And so, um, but in the week prior to that, so we did a week of training, which you were closing out with that um, a negative split run, which uh, many of my athletes know is uh, just make the second half, second loop, second part faster than the first part. And we had a pretty decent week, uh, nothing too crazy in volume with what we're used to, but more just sharpening and uh, one last push of endurance before we rest this week into Swim Run Catalina. And so you were finishing that out, but the week before that, so two weeks out, so three to two weeks out, we fasted. We did an intermittent fast week and yeah, we, why don't you talk a little bit about that? We wanted to start the year just like many of you with kind of a reset and a cleanse and give the body a break. However, we start the year with the coast ride, so it's not an ideal time for us to implement any fasting or food restriction during the month of January in prep for the coast ride or in recovery from the coast ride. So we did it mid-February. So we went on the coast ride, came back, fueled properly to recover from that. And then we did a little cleanse, which included some intermittent fasting in a full just one 24-hour fast um, to reset the system and to sort of play with it because we get so many questions on how does fasting fit in with endurance training. And we wanted to experience it ourselves and see what that looked like and what happened to our training and what happened to our bodies and how we felt doing it so that we could better give our opinion on it. So we did it a week or uh, probably two or three weeks after the coast ride. And then um, knowing that we had the swim run, so it was sort of a rest week. We did some significant training for the swim run, took a rest week, and that's the week that we did the Um, fasting and then um, we still had another week or two to train again for the the event yeah and we used it pretty much as a reset as well like we were interested in the aspect of not only the intermittent fasting and building up the fast window but also just as a reset I mean for me I know to get off of caffeine and not drink any alcohol for a seven-day window is the biggest step for me. Um, not that it's impossible. Um, I'm not quite there yet, but it's been many years since I have reset like that. Um, I used to, before Kona, stop drinking beer about six weeks prior and just sort of tighten everything up from nutrition to no beer to um, just a, a tighten the focus. And that, it helped me. It just put me in a mindset of, all right, if I'm going into Kona, I want to make sure that these last six weeks I clear everything up, get good sleep, good recovery, nothing impeding my um, 
adaptation. And so it's been six years since I had an opportunity to do that. And Emily likes to um, test and experience different nutrition approaches that she has her clients do. So this was a fast that she was interested in anyway. And so I was happy to jump on board. And so it went uh, quite well. We we were um, we were happy with it. It wasn't as challenging as we both would would have thought it was. Um, just sort of insight. We went sort of sixteen hour, then eighteen hour, and then I think we jumped right into twenty four hours of fasting. And it's intermittent fasting. So in the non fasting time, we had shakes um, with supplements and certain nutrients in it from. A company that um, Emily works with and is testing out and then also uh, we had some solid meals on the front end and on the back end to reintroduce foods as well as um, again salads with uh, some proteins in it and so forth but um, <laughs> nothing in comparison to the volume of food I usually eat but we both found that because we eat pretty similarly already and in that sort of lifestyle that it wasn't that much of a stretch. It was more that we just had a lot more shakes than we usually would. Um, and the shakes and soups, um, something simple being that it gives your body a little bit of a break as far as digestion goes, um, so that we are still getting the nutrients, but your body didn't have to do a lot of work to break down the food. Um, so for me, the fasting... Um, was more of a reset of my gut sometimes it's my struggle is my gut so when they have big big training blocks sometimes that gets a little a little out of sorts and um so being able to give my gut a break um and reset in that space was really my goal um given i don't eat a lot of the foods that aren't on the list anyway yeah and for me Again, giving my body a break and allowing things to sort of reset was the, the outcome. And that actually brings up a good point on all of this. So we had specific, and we had talked about it and uh, prior to this, what is our desired outcome for the fast? And why are we doing this? Are we just doing this to experiment and play around? No, it was more, well, for me, we set some intentions. That's probably the better way to say it. We set intentions for, yeah. the, for the week. For me, it was definitely to get off caffeine and see how bad that. He might. was convinced that he has no effect from caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely missed it, but it wasn't like the shakes or anything dramatic. Like no, that. but when I you just, brought like, it back, you noticed. Oh yeah, big time. Um, and then it was more just also losing the routine of the warm morning uh, mm -hmm. coffee routine, um, which teas did not really replace. But so the intentions were to get off coffee and beer for a week. Um, and also to reset the sense system for me. And for Emily, it was also to um, narrow down what in her gut and her stomach is might be bothering her, as well as just a reset to when she comes back in from the fast to keep certain foods out to see how that's been affecting her gut and her ability to perform. Yep. So, but... Success this, on all ends. Yes, and, and, and just to close this piece out... Um, what were the results? It was the 24 hour fast was not that big of a deal. Um, I think it would be easy for Emily and I to have done if one, we didn't have four kids running around, um, teenagers who are all 
eating food all the time, all the all We watched a us. lot of movies. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so cooking for them while we're not eating. Uh, then also the challenge is we both work from home. So we're right near our fridge and our food <laughs> and our coffee. And so it's it makes it even more tempting if you just have the ability to go to your office and you have nothing around, you can just focus. We noticed that whenever we were doing something external or we're immersed in work or something, then you don't even notice that you didn't eat. But and I also liked how you how we gently got into it. So it wasn't just sudden. It was twelve hours and then sixteen and then eighteen. So that by the time the twenty four came around, you were able to just say, All right, I can do an extra few hours. And once you're that far into it, I also noticed it's you know, you're over the hump. So at like 18 or 15 when you're really hungry you're like ugh this might be a long next 10 hours but it wasn't no but and I I had great energy I really did and I um did not I had one moment that I felt sleepy but other than that I had great energy but how this turns back to our training I think is more of the interest as far as the podcast and the listeners um this was again a week that we had to choose one or the other, either fasting or focusing on training. There was no, we did do movement every day, um, maybe a swim or maybe an easy run or, you know, I sat on the bike, but there was not a lot of productive training. It was just moving, keeping the body moving and the systems flowing. But, and Chris can talk more about the training effects of that. So, when we talk or get these questions about, you know, how does fasting fit in with training? Um, it doesn't. It doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Not if you're looking for an outcome. Um, yeah. I mean, it's it would have to be coordinated with your coach um, or in your own design training plan so that it, it truly is an off week or recovery week. Like what we did, we literally just height ran it was not anything from a numbers or performance or a heart rate it was just some movement um i barely broke a sweat on any of them mm-hmm. um, i sat then, in the sauna to get the sweat yeah <laughs> and then you sat on a bike and it was just very easy i mean you're just it's not necessarily that you're low on energy it's just when you ask your body to do something there's not enough there it just there was no oomph yeah. there was no pushing it or getting any um you know interval or yeah. Oomph out of your workout at all. And swimming was just going through the motions. And so that was our intention for the week of training yep. as well with regards to having go staying connected to the motions but not looking for um, an adaptation or a progression in any way. And that's, that's a lot what will come across in some of these questions that understanding it is not for training purposes. There is no um, benefit. It's a great reset is what I would say. I would also say we noticed that for me, and these are all personal experiences, you all will have different experiences in however you fast or go through a certain, any type of nutritional uh, applications. But I didn't necessarily sleep better. I didn't necessarily have this uh, aha moment on the other end. I don't know that we did it long enough for some of that, but... But the, I think, but I did notice the coffee coming back. It was very powerful. My first cup of coffee, I was I couldn't even drink it. It yeah. was too um, bitter, uh, acidic on my tongue. I had like I made a half a cup 
on the first day but no um actually i cheated he cheated yeah he couldn't even make it i couldn't even make it (laughs) so but that morning of the seventh seventh day i didn't make it all seven i made the um i didn't have beer all seven days but i made it (laughs) um because it was valentine's day too like come on um i tried a half a cup i poured myself or i made myself i do pour over i made myself a half a cup and that was Ugh, I didn't even make it through a third of that. It was awful. Um, so I, I poured that out. So that was the biggest recognition on the whole thing. But that being said, keep in mind, you guys, um, with this nutrition podcast, part of the weekly word, we will dive into a variety of topics, but we also need to clarify a few things before we start. We're not doctors, you know, and we don't play them on the internet, sort of like you hear on those jokes on TV. Nutrition is a highly personal and individual science. To think what works for others will work for you is not realistic. And it can be unhealthy or even worse, right? Anytime you hear or read something someone is doing nutritionally, even what we're saying here, that means hundreds of, if not thousands of factors come into play. The gut, the microbiome, how it works with the body, hormones, adrenals, as well as athletic performance throw so many variables into this that thinking there's a plan approach or a certain diet or a philosophy that works for all is quite honestly naive. So let's say that first. I've seen this firsthand, not only with me, but so many of my athletes. What works amazingly well for me, for example, does not work for many of my athletes. And it doesn't work person- for most people what Chris does. Well, yeah. <laughs> And I know I'm N plus one, right? And my years of living, breathing, studying, and applying this endurance lifestyle continues to highlight this. We, you and I see this all the time. Yes. Where it's, I'm talking to people or I'm testing out products for people or I'm doing certain experiments with regards to ultra endurance and it just doesn't hit the scale the way they want it to because, again, I've been doing this since I'm four years old. Um, so yeah. I hope you can all see this, feel this, understand this, and grow into this as well with regards to that you have to sort of learn to take what your body is telling you, the signals, um, and apply very detail-oriented from there. This is your body. You have one body, and we have one planet we live on. So we're already doing a crappy job of taking care of the planet, but we can do... A, with ourselves and our body a a much better job Um, always we're constantly looking on how to improve what we're doing food nutrition hydration uh, timing um, care sleep recovery and the same thing it's an endless um, journey there is no perfection there is no outcome that's going to be well i've arrived you're constantly adjusting because your body is constantly changing. Who I was and was able to eat in my 20s was totally different than what I was in my 30s and my 40s. And now, 50s, my AARP years. Exactly. <laughs> um, so that that's the important thing to remember as we dive into all of this. Yeah, and I was going to add, I mean, my... Obviously, I have a certification in nutrition and... But a lot of my information coming to you is from personal experience. Um, it's my opinion from things that I have learned, and it's from working with clients and their experiences. So um, people, we don't always follow the book. Um, 
doesn't no, happen don't. like yeah. it says it's going to happen. So when I work with people, it's more of teaching them to pay attention to what's happening in their bodies, much like Chris does with training and having feedback and providing me with um, their experience of, you know, what we're trying, because that's going to guide us on their nutrition journey. So with the fasting, just to finish that up, I um, think that there is a time and a place what we did agree on and and like, and which we do, I think, pretty regularly is, you know, taking a 12-hour break pretty much every day. I mean, from the time we eat dinner to the time we eat in the morning is generally a 12-hour day. Yeah, um, I mean, we're at that right now. We ate late last night because we had your yeah, MRI. yeah. And right now it's 8.30 in the morning and we have not eaten yet. Yeah. yeah. And so no, it's, no, a, it's not a thoughtful plan. It just it works out. It like generally that. works out yeah. that way. And we do not try to eat super late. Or, um, However, when it comes to you know training or if you're trying to push the 14-hour or the 16-hour fast on a regular basis, I think that that's where you lose nutrients. You lose opportunity for fueling. And as endurance athletes, you know, I, not... One person I don't think that I've ever worked with has shown me a food log that they have enough protein. And this is a whole nother, probably an entire podcast. Um, but as endurance athletes, and most of us are older endurance athletes. Yeah. So, I mean, Chris's clients aren't 20. Um, we're in their upper 30s, 40s, 50s, some I don't know how much older they are. But as we age, our protein requirements go up. As endurance athletes, our protein requirements go up um so having frequent fasting periods you're just missing the opportunity to refuel and rebuild and prep for the next workout so that's where i find it's very difficult to include longer than 12 hour fasts on a regular basis um with endurance training um i i don't see anybody successfully getting in the nutrients they need as well as um, being able to fast frequently um, that long. Yeah. And I mean, this is something you and I also talk a lot about. So a couple things there. One is you and I, we live and breathe this stuff, right? We're not only do we, um, you work in it, I work in it. We live it with both being endurance athletes um, and, and having done this for many many years decades Um, Emily's actually done this endurance space longer than I have because when (laughs) I was swimming she was already running running and cycling through the night and doing all kinds of crazy stuff so yes and we live this passionately in the sense too that we catch ourselves out to dinner talking nutrition (laughs) for hours and we have to say all right let's we got to stop let's talk about other things we're sort of geeked out on this so that being said, having so many examples and so much in our world around this, it's difficult to um, properly convey what's going on in the nutrition space. And what I mean by that, for ultra-endurance athletes, let's be very clear that we're talking ultra-endurance and endurance athletes. We're not talking in a general populist aspect. Exactly. And the second part there is what Emily just said with regards to she hasn't seen with protein requirements. You might know athletes or have heard of big-named athletes who are successful on certain 
nutrition approaches, diets, plans, philosophies. But what you want to look at is how long they're in that space and successful at the top before they have to pull back for a year or two in order to replenish, rebuild, refuel the body for the extreme demands that they're in. And that's the part that's important to me for you as, and and also you are not a full-time athlete. So when you're comparing yourself to the, some of the bigger named, let's say, fat adapted athletes, plant-based athletes, um, carnivore diet athletes, whatever it is, they are professional athletes. They are spending their days and time focused on nutrition and have the means and time and the blood tests and the team behind them to constantly monitor if they are successful with their nutrient needs in order to have the performance outcomes they need. And it's been optimized to them. So when they post and share and put information out there, for example, a sage candidate, I know, for example, all the back-end work he's doing to get the needs covered for his endeavors. The, you know, Scott Jurex, I've worked with him for years on the background, in the background, not as my athlete, but I know him quite well with regards to his needs and at times being quite depleted and needing to rebuild and then get back to a level that his body can perform at the level he needs to. So, and again, they are professionals. They live this and have the testing and time and needs for it. Most of us, because we're talking on this podcast, when pro and something other than ultra endurance sports, we have family, we have work, and then we're squeezing in ultra endurance training, which is already a huge demand on our system and our adrenals and our body that for us to keep up with that becomes the, that's the, the sweet spot, the danger. Right. Yes. And I also think, and that's where the fasting comes in. I think exactly. because of busy, busy lives, people, it's convenient. If you, if I could sit here and say, yeah, fast every day, don't eat breakfast and just start with lunch. Um, it takes many people get stressed or don't have time to make breakfast or on the go. So it's like, Oh, great. Fasting. Can I do this? This would be great. Um, and the answer is no, um, not on a regular basis and be able to get all your needs in. Um, in a busy life because your busy life also uses up a lot of protein and nutrients because that's what your hormones are built on. Yeah. So, um, yeah, if it doesn't work properly, it's not going to happen and you're not going to have the adaptation you're looking for. And next thing you know, you're wondering why your training's not working as it should be. Yeah. And that being said, again, there's always a time and a place for some of these strategies, Yeah. whether it's, you know, a time to go plant-based because of something that's been off or a time to go or a time to fast to give your body a break or a reset. Um, but I think what we're kind of alluding to is on a regular ongoing basis for long periods of time, we haven't seen these things. Well, that and very long. work with a professional, work with your coach, work with a nutritionist so that you guys can optimize what the outcome is. And your coach can also work with your training so right. that again, but, why do anything in this space? And this is the part that you and I talk about at nauseum. Why do anything in this space if there's not going to be the adaptation, the outcome you want for performance gains to have a better version of yourself in 10 days from now, yeah. or a week from now? So if you're not doing it with enough knowledge about yourself, what your intentions are with a professional or you have enough um, understanding around it, then why do it? 
Yeah. Well, and it's just one of those things too. More isn't always better in any aspect. You know, more fasting isn't always better. More endurance training isn't always better. Um, there's a time and a place for you, all of this in the right both. balance. And yeah. it, it is a little tricky to figure out. Um, and with life hacks and some of this stuff, yeah, like you, you can't double dip all at the same time, right? Like, no <laughs> you can't be, you, you can't get the benefit. And many of the benefits, like we've talked about, many of the benefits of um, fasting you get from training. Um, Already. Yeah. So, you if know, like in a sense, six, double hour, dipping, right? yeah, um, exactly. you're sort of draining yourself instead of getting those benefits. Um, so it's just something to think and about. That's something we push back when, on most of our athletes and clients is that, well, what is it you want out of this? Is this a performance gain or is this a you know, mm-hmm. vanity thing, a weight loss thing, a looks thing, a lean muscle mass thing? You know, And that's uh, something for people to explore and that's exactly. all part of the work. But that's, um, that's part of the intentions. Like understand and re- look into yourself and see what's my true outcome here. Yeah, why why I am I doing say. this? I mean, I think a lot of people sign up for these events in saying they love it or they want the event or they have this huge passion and deep underneath they really just want to lose weight and need a goal to do it um you just have to be honest with yourself and what your outcome and how many clients do we have that and friends of ours and in in all respects too i mean my clients most of them come to me when they don't feel well so well that's it but we also have plenty of friends and clients in my world who even just the the typical old school answer of i do this so that i can eat what i want to eat yeah. <laughs> and that makes our head explode a little bit. It does. Because it again, does. it's why spend all this time training and sacrificing time with family and work and weekends and all the things that we do in order to make this ultra endurance lifestyle work just so that you can eat what you want to eat. There's got to be more to it, I hope. Yeah. <laughs> if we're going to go well, I had this conversation yesterday with a client and um, about, you know, he's happy to eat clean eats clean all the time and you know feels good really notices the benefit of eating clean and his energy and his exercise performance and his mental state um but he doesn't go out to eat because when he goes out to eat he makes bad choices yeah and it's i was pushed back on you know what is that about if you know you've like when i go out to eat i don't make poor choices because i actually enjoy good food yeah and i know how it makes me feel so it was more of a reflection on his end of why we make these poor choices. Yeah, and as an yeah. athlete, you know, why do you want to keep performing and fill your body with junk if you yeah, want well, that's good performance? We run, yeah, we run into that with younger athletes too, who are still in a place from a metabolism standpoint and from a maturity knowledge standpoint that yeah. they think they can just fuel with anything. Of course they can. They haven't seen the decline in performance yet at that level in order to see who their other self would be if they were fueling clean and had the uh, other outcomes. But it's also an investment in your future self. Like who you, how you're eating in your late 20s, early 30s will impact who you are in your 40s and your performance then. And I can speak to myself. I was lucky in that I switched, not switched, but started paying more attention earlier on and it's helping me now that the transition to a few years ago to healthier and healthier and healthier eating has not been something dramatic you know i don't miss the twinkies 
No. <laughs> I can't even put it in my mouth. Yeah. Because <laughs> you notice all the chemicals and that yeah. fake stuff. It feels disgusting. And that's why I also say to so many athletes with the gels and the astronaut food, as I call it, like eventually you'll notice that you can't, on an ultra endurance event, you'll notice that after a few hours, your body will stop wanting to eat it. And now you're stuck because you still have many hours to go and you only have sugary, um, you know, astronaut food as a choice. It's not a good feeling when you're forcing food down because you know you need and you're hungry, but you just can't yeah. get it in your mouth. And yeah. so a lot of the bars and stuff are getting better. There are, yeah, more, you know, many more choices out there too. Yeah, but there's still feel. so many people who do chews and gels. Yeah. For many, many hours. Like I saw an athlete a couple of weeks ago. It was like 18 gels for her, you know, long yeah. bike ride. I'm like, wait, wait there's I other... can't even imagine. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's dive into some questions okay. and some emails and some Instagram questions and some Twitter questions. And we'll, um, we'll have more conversation around this topic because I have a feeling it's just going to be a continuous, consistent thread here that we'll talk about. All right, let's dive into the first question here. We've got a um, question for the nutrition segment. In a hypothetical world, what would be the ideal pre- and post-race nutrition meals, both meat-eating and plant-based athlete? The goal would be, to maximum, would be to maximum recovery and energy with minimal focus on taste. Figure the event is an Ironman. So first of all... <laughs> The challenge here is what the needs are, what the human athlete needs, but also maximum recovery and minimal focus on taste. Food is something that should taste, and it's not just uh, an equation or something you force down because it has a maximum recovery effect and energy effect. So that's the first part I'd want to say, and of course, Emily, you're going to um, add input here, but... The part that I would immediately push back on this question is we want food to work in tandem with us and not something that we're just doing because it serves a purpose. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm trying to remember all the parts of the question. What would be um, the ideal pre and post nutrition meals for both meat eating yes. and plant-based athletes? Both. It doesn't matter which food you're eating um, pre and exercise again it's going to be a little bit of dependent on how you digest food and what you have been eating on a regular basis um but before you go you're going to need some carbohydrates protein will be minimally used in your workout and and race and, race. and fat is going to sustain those carbohydrates a little bit longer but again depending on how well you digest and absorb and use your fat is going to vary greatly um, there is no ideal, and I'm sorry, to, um, we, you and I go back and forth like this. Well, there's going to be scientific research that says this many carbs and that many, and that's what people want yeah, but to that's, hear. But, but if you haven't been eating like that, and all of a sudden you've upped your uh, exactly. fats and, and lowered your carbs because of what you've typically been eating, now you're going to have an upset stomach as you add intensity or effort level to that stomach. So that now it's not in the proper balance ratio what it's been trained on. So there is no exactly, idea. and that's what I was going to say. You know, there's some if I'm going out for a long run, kind of easy, you know, three or four hours. You know, I can handle eating some fats and carbohydrates and a little bit of protein I want in there, and that's fine. 
Um, if I'm going out to do a track workout, that's not going to work well for me. <sighs> so it's going to be a little bit dependent on what type of workout you're you're doing. Um, you know, post workout, we've always pushed for a well balanced meal. Um, again, the protein, and this is what I see when you ask about plant based. In general, the plant based meals do not have enough protein. Um, so or unless you're you need supplementing to eat so much of it, exactly, in order to get your needs of protein met, that it's almost unrealistic to think, what, I've got to eat that many? Yeah. And while many of the plant-based proteins are not complete proteins, mm -hmm. so you have to eat a combination of them to um, obtain that. So, but you also need the carbohydrates to help transport the proteins to where they need to get to. Um, and then obviously fats are um, also important in that recovery process. So a well-balanced meal is always what is recommended. Yeah, the, the um, old school protein. protein shake is not the well, well for plant-based. I mean, for plant-based athletes, they are going to need to probably supplement with, um, you know, the the protein powders in order to get enough protein um, post recovery yeah. to recover and fuel for the next workout. And let's just move right into some of the, the things that come up. There is no carbo-loading and pre-based overloading of food. Those, those That theory went away many years ago because it's just going to upset your system and stomach. Um, you can eat a little bit more before an Ironman or before an ultra Yeah, I was going to say increasing calories just so you're... Yeah, you're not a little bit. the old stay old school of carbo loading as if it's going to stay stored in the system and going to be available for you during your event. No, that's not really how it works. And secondly, it's not how it works when you're multiple hours in. So your extra food the day or two before isn't going to supply anything once you're three, four hours in and you've gone through your glycogen stores anyway. So instead... What you want to do for an Ironman especially, because of the different uh, movements on the stomach, um, you want to do something that you know is going to be successful for you for the first three, four hours where you're going through your glycogen stores. And then once you start your fueling needs, obviously an hour or two in, you've already done that, but it's ever so gently relying more and more on the what you are adding further into the event. And early on in the event, you're still pulling off of what you ate the days and the night before, is you want that to be gentle. You want that to be neutral. You want that to be something you know you're successful with. I was going to say something, a meal that you've practiced with, and that's not extremely high in fiber. And that's the other tricky thing sometimes with the plant-based meals. Um you know, you have to know what works for your system. So I've seen a lot of athletes plant-based with massive stomach distress, um, but keep shoving the beans and the lentils and the um, things in that may not be serving them well. Um, well, that that's something we come across a lot with. Yeah. What you're eating might look good on paper and on a plate. Yeah. Or I could tell you an ideal meal, but if you eat that meal and it comes right back out, if that's not, not your ideal meal. Exactly. If you're not absorbing the nutrients and calories, yeah. then we need to dig deeper because there's plenty of people, especially in this environment, in our client world, that eat quite good. If you look Their at food it on, logs look beautiful. Exactly. But, but they, they are, are unhealthy in that they're not, not absorbing, absorbing any of the food. 
And so, so that's why working, it's hard to say this ideal meal. Sure, I can spew out um, a bunch of meals that would be great. Um, you know, nice salad with chicken and brown rice. I mean, sweet simple and sweet potatoes like yeah, yeah. Um, would be great. Plant-based, again, a brown rice bowl with um, beans or lentils, if that works for you. But again, I think there needs to be added protein in that yeah um too much soy is not a great thing um so it gets tricky but the biggest part is practicing what you want or feel good on and really paying attention does that make me feel good does it make me feel lethargic does it give me stomach distress um and if it constantly getting stomach distress then we need to talk because that's not normal you touched on something interesting there lethargy and that's something i used to experience and i know i've talked to a variety of athletes over the years that first few hours because they had such a big breakfast because they ate so much or something imbalanced in the hours before their race or their training day that the first two three hours of cycling running swimming whatever that they're sort of lethargic yeah and then ever so gently they get their energy back and it's it yeah it can be a variety of things yes chris used to i remember you'd eat and then just be tired yeah and think that was part of well i just ate a big meal so of course i'm tired um that theory isn't right um food is fuel and it should be energizing and if you feel tired after eating it could be a couple things one it could be a food allergy something you're sensitive to that um the fatigue afterward is telling you that food doesn't work for you whichever food that may be um sometimes that takes a little bit of teasing it out if you ate it with you know a multiple multiple foods which most of us do Mm -hmm. um or you ate too much. So if you eat too big of a meal um, you and then you feel tired, you could have spiked your blood sugar and then have a crash um, because you ate too much. Um, so, so those I, are two so, yeah. reasons that are potentially what's giving you the lethargic feeling. Um, but if you feel lethargic after you eat, you need to look back at what you ate and how much you ate and start teasing out why because food should give you energy. Yeah, and it's a good first step or a good way to see, wow, I need to start paying better attention. This is not what the outcome should be. Yes. And it's it's step one of many and a way to enter into this world of, huh, I should notice from lunch or how I'm feeling at my desk in the afternoon or... Mm -hmm. You know, after a workout versus before a workout, yeah. all the ways to start listening to your body and especially nutrition is such a big component of that. So, yeah. And relating food to how you feel energy wise. Many people don't do that. They just think, oh, well, I'm tired because I didn't sleep or I'm tired because I've um, been running around all day or I'm tired because, you know, work's been press- pressing me. And those all could be contributing, but your food is a huge part in that isn't always recognized yeah yeah and it's it's brushed off yeah again like we said earlier on that food is just treated as a necessity versus something that enhances you yeah yeah um hey chris uh for long course events using on course nutrition versus benefits of plain water carry your own mix well i don't even need to answer that um with you (laughs) do your own things if you've trained on something especially in an Ironman environment or triathlon environment 
but even in an ultra running environment with the vests and so on and the drop bags and your crew do what you've trained on so be be i'm always independent of the course in any triathlon I do not use the Gatorades, the gels, the foods, the waters, uh, uh, excuse me, the waters, um, the bottled water on the course I do use. But I use the special needs bags. I use my own drinks. I have my bike bottles on the bike prior. I get my new bottles at special needs. I do not drink their drink. I do not use their food. First of all, it makes it really nice going through transitions, not having to grab stuff and deal with stuff. And second of all, this whole understanding that, oh, well, what they serve on the course is what I need to get adjusted to. No, no. It, it, most of the yeah. time it's junk. I I'm, I mean, I can speak to this too from just experience. I'm gluten-free um, and I've done many ultra races that I've gone through the task of emailing the race director and asking what's on the course. So I know how much food I have to carry um, or not. And then to get to the aid station and find out that their one pan of potatoes that they prepared is already <laughs> gone. Yeah. Um, so I always carry my own food. And if they happen to have something on the course that I can use, great. Right. Then, hey, yay, it's something different. Um, but I'm always prepared to sustain myself yeah. Yeah. Um, and not rely on – because that – you know, relying on those aid stations, it can ruin your day. And well, it's, and it's it's part of the bigger it. philosophy and approach of ultra endurance training and what we do. We don't do all this training to mess it up with something that we control, a controllable mm-hmm. we can ha- have a direct impact on. Yeah. And nutrition like this, on course nutrition, takes the control out of our hands, and we don't want that. So the question continues: convenience versus risk of GI intolerance by ingesting too much sugar from the products on course. Exactly. I mean, some again, of this stuff on these courses, they're saving money in order, and they're just putting junk out there, especially in ultra races. I've noticed from the jelly beans to the Snickers bar to the potato chips. I mean, it's just junk on a table. Yes. You know, and in a corner, you have a few gels and chews. And sure, it worked. There's a time and a place for it sometimes, but yeah. <laughs> I'm thinking of one time I, I did a race back to back, two big races back to back. And I don't know, I just felt nauseous. I felt awful. And I grabbed what I thought was water, but it was Sprite. And I was like, ooh, that was good. (laughs) (laughs) I had had Sprite in like, I don't know how many years. And it got me through the race. And then I finished and I told Chris and he looked at me. It was like, you know, you left 20 minutes out there. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't care at the moment. See, I'm I'm equally harsh and empathetic with everybody. (laughs) Um. Yeah. But it wasn't ideal, and you know sometimes there's a again it, there's a time and a place or whatever you need. Um, but being prepared on your own or to sustain your own self out there, because again the reality is too it that aid station may not be where you need it. Yeah, um, exactly. I've run into that too. It's like oh Especially shit, in like yeah, you don't know where it's going to be. You don't know the terrain from one aid station to the next, where you think it may be an hour, but it's. Well, we have that this weekend at, at, um, in Catalina. I mean, it looks like it's pretty close, but it's not. And um, we're going to have to bring some nutrition with us. For the DIYers, some recommendations for premix nutrition ratios that might prove effective. On a really hot, humid day with a course that has a lot of climbing, you might want to be thinking about doing X instead of Y. I'm going to answer this. This is just a question of practice and knowing what your body needs 
from training and again, simulations and understanding all this. This is the important part, right? And the fact that you come into any event that's meaningful to you, that it's important to you, that you don't, that you still have questions with regards to hydration and needs and fuel and ratios, that should not be a question. You should have tested it and practiced it and felt good enough about it that you feel confident going into the event knowing that you can address this and deal with it is, that's on you, the athlete. And with regards to the earlier topic too, if you are looking to how to manage a course, whether a triathlon or an ultra or, well, usually self-cured adventures and those logistics are planned totally different. So let's just say in an organized event like this, talk to your coach and work through it. Like I can rattle off how to be independent on an Ironman and a half Ironman and an Ultraman, well, Ultraman, you have a crew, um, in, in two minutes because it's a very easy process once you have gone through it enough times and sort of realize like, oh, it's designed to be 100% independent. The first Ironmans were 100% no aid station. So everybody already had that concept in mind. So. I do think there's, um, you know, people want numbers and ratios and well, what's proven to work best. And you can you can Google those for sure. Um, that's out there and sports nutritionists will um, spit out those numbers. But again, it comes down to how your body uses it. And I think and Chris, ratio. I think the, the big thing with Chris and I is like we're into individual nutrition and yeah. Um, and no sports these, nutritionist can give you your numbers. It's a great no. place to start. It is, and that's what I'm saying. So start start with those ratios. I don't know them right off the top of my head. I can certainly um, look it up, and we can post it somewhere. But um, you know, playing with that, starting there, and then you've you've got to see how you feel. Did you bonk? Did you um, get tired? Did you have a great training day? Did it work consistently for you? Those are questions you're going to have to ask yourself and put in your training notes so that you remember and um, yeah. adjust from there. And that's what I say with Ironman too, like with the fuel, uh, the fueling needs and hydration needs. Of you need a minimum level of calories per hour. So I usually say for women a minimum of about 160, 150 an hour and then see how that works. For yeah. guys, a minimum of 200, what I call a floor uh, per hour after the first hour where you're coming off of breakfast and stuff like that. But then see what you need. Like uh, many people I've noticed, um, you start with a caloric need and a fueling need and a hydration need and you're six, seven, eight hours in, those needs change. Yeah, or even when you say, I mean, as a beginning athlete, your needs are one thing. Oh, exactly. You know, as an experienced athlete, your needs are going to be another. Your body gets more efficient. Your body composition changes. Your needs will change because of that. Um, so that's a, always a moving target. It's My not... needs have changed over the years dramatically. And, and I again, to... as we age, they change. Yeah. As your digestion ability changes, that will change. And your um, effort level out there and how you're level. managing your nerves and your excitement and your adrenaline out there. I used to you know, have a nervous stomach. And so I'd wait and, and eat somewhat differently. Then I had a very calm um, stomach because I knew that what I'm doing and I had more... Done that yeah, drill. Yeah. Exactly. So it all those things affect what you're doing. And again, you have to learn it on your own. And the more people... But we can work with you or yeah. notice, but keeping notes and giving feedback. And that's where, you know, again, I'm just as big on that as Chris is as far as filling out a log or putting some notes in. Um, because you won't remember. You think you're going to remember. 
but you don't. And I, I mean, I don't all the time. So you have to make the notes and um, do the reflection and um, write it down because that's how you're going to, that's how you're going to learn. Solid versus liquid calories. Are there significant differences on how the body processes form under stress? Again, you have to learn that solid versus liquid calories. Well, I'm I think a big proponent of eating your food and drinking your drink and not combining your food as a drink. And, you know, so we're And I think that's this. pretty common. I was going to yeah. say, if you find yourself that you need liquid calories because you can't digest um, solids, we've got a bigger problem yes. probably um, that we need to look at the gut and, you know, how that's... Um, working in general um if you can't finding yourself that you cannot digest solid foods on the go or while training um there's probably that's probably an indication that there's a bigger problem um with your digestion in general and maybe the liquid calories are getting you through you know the training but shorter events it's not going to work for ultra endurance events anyway yeah so when you're five six hours in you're going to need something with sustenance and something that absorbs and sits in your head slow burning fuel and all those things and that's why i'm yeah you can't drink that amount of calories and then continue to sloshy stomach and um so that's already not a reality once you get to longer distance events and what i keep preaching truly preaching is Foods in your stomach that can absorb the drinks and that are coming down the pipe too. <laughs> because you want something of slow burning fuel, not just a quick hit of sugar. Yeah. Um, so that that's where the bars have gotten better. A lot more sustenance and, yeah. and, and density to them. Not too dense because that creates a stomach concern as well. well I was going to say, some find... of all the just fruit and nut things, that's... It's- some awesome. of that for some people that can work um, some people that doesn't work as well so yeah. again we have to play with that a little bit but the bars are getting a little bit more natural which is nice yeah and for us in the ultra endurance space keep in mind what you're doing now in hour four will affect your hour eight and nine and ten so you're always thinking and well you want to get in the habit of thinking how am I fueling now not just for the next 10 20 minutes of a quick energy hit but how am i feeling myself now for what i'll feel like and who i'll be in four or five hours from now? well and i think in those when we're talking that long um as far as liquid calories or solid calories or whatever it is i think keep in mind that you're probably going to want lots of options yeah because even if you've laid out your whole plan sometimes at hour six or seven it doesn't like those things that you laid out sound nauseating like there's no way that that food is going in your mouth at that time so you want to have some options i think and knowing there's variety because i know for me many times what i thought would work it just does not sound appealing yeah at a certain um, point i've talked about this before i know to you but when um i was working in triathlon uh with an athlete and we I did it also for my own exercise. We put everything that we would eat during an Ironman in a big jug and just let it sit there for about a half an hour. Gels, chews, bars, our breakfast, and seeing what that did to our stomach was ridiculous. And mm-hmm. and you, you wouldn't want to drink that. You wouldn't want to take a glass of that and chug it down. But yet, just because we space it out, we seem to think, oh, it's fine. But that's all sitting in our stomach. And so, well, hopefully you're digesting it. Yeah, but the, yeah. The, the point was more, look at what 
the gels and chews and you know the the drinks the carbo pro and now the gatorade on top of that put that all into a cup or a jar and, and look at it and then say that's in your stomach right because it's all sugar and quick hit and astronaut food so um what do we got here uh from your own experience or those of your athletes, what are some of the best practices, general pros and cons of liquid calories that we already talked about that. Personal preference based on what you've already personally tested. Um, all old stuff. That's listen to the podcast because <laughs> I've gone through this a lot. Personal preference. You know, any tips or tricks for carrying bars and dealing with wrappers? Again, this is, uh, this is stuff. Dealing with wrap. Yeah, just yeah. put it in your vest or whatever you have. Yeah. Fast, or if you're on a tri bike, there's and in a triathlon, there's plenty of aid stations where you can get rid of it, as well as pockets in your tri outfit and stuff. While training, after a long session, the body's telling you, "Feed me now." What's the best way to answer? Having prepared snacks at the ready so you can ingest immediately while changing and cooling down. No, we already talked about this. Well, I was going to say, you know, in general, having prepared foods, you know, when you do cook, I, I hear this all the time and something I work with clients all the time, especially in the corporate environment, um, you know, not having time to shop, not having time to cook, not having time, um, I don't know, to eat as soon as I'm done training. The best thing to do is when you cook, cook more than you need. Have the food in the fridge that's ready, the extra proteins, the um, you know, a lot of times, like I keep, you know, we make dinner, but it's hard to keep the extras around the house with <laughs> Chris, but we, I try <laughs> to keep the extras um, so that when I'm done, like I have stuff for lunch and I have, you know, there's extra salmon, there's extra chicken. Um, I buy smoked salmon or smoked mackerel or just to have the extra proteins in the fridge, hard boiled eggs. Um, I know there's lots of vegans out there, but having the cooked lentils in the fridge, the extra, the protein powders ready, you know, having when you do cook or having that on the, in the fridge is key. There are many, many shopping services that deliver groceries and um, prepared foods, um, going to the whole foods and having, you know, go to the salad bar and throw in your, you know, cardboard container prepared foods there are many many places to have prepared foods Absolutely. Um, especially for those who go to train somewhere and then drive back home yeah there's plenty of things you can do plenty you of do snacks, have to think ahead fruit vegetables um things you can get either along the way or put it in a cooler prior i mean again if you care about this and you have intention around your training and you're doing it with the athlete's mindset of how is this day, longer day, going to be the most successful outcome for me? The Saturday and Sunday workouts for most of the, us typically are our longer workouts. Will you take a few minutes in the morning or the day before and say, how will that Saturday, clearly it's a big day, how will I have the best possible outcome? Training, recovery, nutrition, simulation, learning, all those things. It's all part of a solid I say, day. When we get when you get to the point as an athlete that the nutrition is part of your training, you're doing better. You're you're growing, right now, you're growing up. Right now, so many athletes, especially of Chris's that I see, um, they get the training done, no problem, and then they're like, I don't have time to eat. Well, you need to cut your training then ten minutes shorter yep. and eat. 
yeah. or you're undoing everything. Yeah. So, you know, it's get a, to the point where the nutrition factor that in your training time. Yeah, it's a holistic aspect. You cannot ignore one and think you're going to optimize no, it. Like people get up at four in the morning to get their workout done, to shower and get to work. And oops, I didn't have time to eat. Well, <laughs> great. Your yeah. workout just depleted you and no. you didn't gain much from it. And sure, maybe you'll you'll last for a couple months or maybe a year, but that will catch up. You know and right? then you're going to be does. injured, you're going to be sick, um, and you're like going to be out of say, sport. It's pulling from somewhere. Yeah. It's, it's draining you somewhere. And it might be in other performance. It might be in impatience. It might be in lack of good sleep because your body is drained elsewhere. So fuel and nutrition is such an important component of just making you the the best athlete you can be. And again, it's something we control as athletes if we put our mind to it, where I always say, you're no different than the best athletes in the world if you just do the things that they do. And that is think about nutrition yeah, their, and fuel. Their fueling is part of their training, Yeah, 100%. And so we, we can do that too. Sure, we're not doing it at their speed, at their volume maybe, but we can have the same outcome and adaptation gains and progression one week to the next week, just like them, if we're adding fuel as nutrition. For us beer drinkers, is there guidance on how ingesting those particular carbs, carbs could affect recovery or indoor prep? Well, if you're having that much beer, it's a different question. <laughs> yes. Um, I see the, that a lot too. And the having a beer after a long ride with your buddies is fine, but you'll probably notice X when heading out on a long run hours later. Yeah, I would not be drinking beer between my workouts. Um, no. Chris rarely, rarely, rarely does that, and that's saying a lot. <laughs> yeah, I drink a lot of beer. Not a lot. Let's put but, it in perspective yeah, but, to um, people. Yeah, but it's a big component of my day. Yes, but a beer or two beer. versus four or five, that's yeah, some of the, yeah, right? For sure. So when you say a lot, it's, Yeah, well, but it's, I, I enjoy it so much. I'm not saying that. I'm <laughs> saying I'm just putting it in perspective because when people hear you drink a lot, I mean, that makes yeah. it sound It may so be great. obvious, but it'd be interesting to better understand what's happening physiologically. Should we switch to red wine for two-a-day sessions? Now, there's a simple answer here. If you have to drink between your sessions... You should not be sending this question. <laughs> we have different yeah, issues no, that we're working on. Yeah. So um, have a beer or a glass of red wine at the end of your training day, even if you're with your buddies. If your buddies don't understand that you still have a run to do, I'm sorry, drink something else and then go for your run because that's not going to work. You cannot have a beer between your bike and your run if you want an effective outcome no. of that, then don't do it. No. They just skip it that day, do the run off the bike on another day. and no. Well, and what this begs for me, what questions I would have is this idea that I think, and again, this could probably be a whole nother podcast, <clears throat> but the idea that you think you deserve a reward after training. Yeah. Right? That's a... Well, this is more We hear than, that a lot too. Well, I deserve this beer or I deserve this glass of wine or whatever I because I did a big training aspect. like okay. I'm, I rode with buddies they're not doing a run off the bike I have one or I have another okay. workout today but I'd like to be social and hang out with them we just had a fun ride I think it's that so um, some of these are redundant so I'm just going to blow through them 
practical food for training so many so many fancy astronaut food types on the market are there suggestions for normal food to use during training pb and j cooked red potatoes yeah all that again there's there's plenty out there and it depends what kind of training you're doing what you can carry running versus cycling you know are going to be slightly different but given the amount of your of many of your, given the amount many of your athletes like me eat it adds up and wonder about less processed items for sure if you can do less processed and again there's getting they're getting way better with the bars and prepping some potatoes ahead for sure like if you're ultra running and again having food out there that works for you but what i also find and i'd be curious to get your opinion because i'm eating a clean meal prior and i know i'm going to eat a clean meal immediately after my five hour run whatever during a couple of bars i'm not too worried about that aspect um it's a small portion of the bigger fuel nutrition yeah of the day so therefore i don't overthink that too much yeah I think um, there's a couple things here that I'm thinking of. Um, one, you know, I hear this a lot too. It's like, oh man, you know, I just eat all day long to get my calories or I just have to eat so much. Um, I don't agree with that. I think that if you find yourself hungry all day long or you feel the need to eat all day long, you are not eating properly. Or you are not getting... Or absorbing. So, right. right. You are not probably getting enough protein um, at your meals to fuel yourself or rebuild yourself. Um, I <clears throat> heard the other day, <clears throat> sorry, that- It, it happens to me all I'm <laughs> always clearing my throat. <laughs> I, got, I got lots of issues over here today. Um, that I heard the other day that if you, that the body will eat until it gets enough protein. So that's something um, I hadn't heard before and I'll have to dig into a little bit um, and again, can follow up on that research, but um, it goes back to what I've said that I rarely see athletes eat enough protein. Um, so if you find yourself need, feeling the need to eat all day long, you probably aren't getting enough of what you need and that's something that we can look at to just evaluate whether you're getting your needs met or not. Um, because if you're eating three meals a day with um, adequate nutrients, protein, fat, um, the appropriate amount of carbohydrates for your system, um, you shouldn't feel the need to eat all day long. Um, there should be a, you should be able to eat a meal and last three to four hours yeah. between meals. Um, occasionally, maybe you need a snack. Um, well, let's also define meal. So we're all ultra endurance athletes. So the meal is going to be typically a bit bigger that's what i'm saying yeah so if you eat the adequate adequate amount um but the proper meal that is being absorbed by the body and is addressing all its needs that's a, a, a proper meal yes three squares yours our square is obviously richer denser quality Yes, nutrient-dense exactly. food for sure. So we don't eat empty rich calories. Rich is the wrong word, um, um, but you know what I mean, yeah. Yeah, um, and we can discuss what empty calories are and what nutrient-dense food is um, oh, at on. another time. Yeah. But the other component of that is I constantly see it. I think, you know, when you said, I don't worry about a bar here or there in the grand scheme of that. 
Um, oh, people snacking on bars. People snacking on bars is, <laughs> yeah. Um, Don't no, do that. No, but what I'm saying is. That's not a good outcome. Oh, it also, sorry to interrupt. Sorry. <laughs> Can't save that thought. Just because of the people eat the protein bars during the day, thinking that that, oh, you know, but that's a sugar, it's chocolate. It's, you know, again, there's a time and a place. Sometimes mm-hmm. people travel a lot. Again, I work with a lot of corporate um, employees and um, companies, and sometimes bars are part of it just because it's the better option. It is not ideal. Um, and if you're at home and can control it, we, we, we go off that. So that's a d- different, different discussion. What I was going for, Chris <laughs> interrupting, was that Chris and I rarely fuel our weekly workouts with bars and gels. Our workouts are fueled pre and post with meals and food. Um, So I constantly see, you know, people either in the food log or sometimes even in the cycling class I go to, they show up at six in the morning with their whole, you know, lined up gels and whatnot. Um, We rarely do that. I mean, definitely on the weekends when our trainings are longer or, you know, if we have a midweek uh, training that happens to be, you know, three, four hours or more, um, we are then probably using, you know, the prepared foods, the packaged foods, because that's what's convenient and most efficient. But I would say the majority of our week, I mean, I maybe consume three packaged foods in a training week. Yeah. You know, for one. Well, as you're building up, I mean, if you're going out for your five, six, seven hour runs, when you're no, that's what I'm saying. But for my hour workout, or oh, you yeah. know, or if I have two workouts in one day, rarely are they over ninety minutes yeah. at a time. So I'm well fueled going in. I maybe take a little something on it, but rarely during the week are we doing. You know, we're using food at home and yeah. whatnot. And I get it. Many of you are Coming training from, from the office and exactly or whatnot, and that's what I work with people on: how can you prepare and how can you have the right things versus just bars all the time. But um, that was okay. what I was thinking. Um, uh, let's just close out this email. Practical food for training. We did that. Ideas on things we could make ourselves. I know many of us are short on time, but we tend to go through a lot of bars. So we just address that. Any given weekend, I may consume more than a thousand calories on bike and runs. Agreed. But this is what, back to just to reiterate this point. If you're eating a clean, quality breakfast, where I've talked about on this podcast, a fair amount of calories, let's say you're going out for your bike ride and a run, it's going to be a six-hour training day, and you've had a solid breakfast, and that was at 8 a.m., you're going to go out. So at 6 a.m., you're eating a good 800 to 1,000 calorie breakfast of healthy, clean, good, nutrient-dense foods, nothing too crazy off the grid. That will sustain you for the first 90 minutes of your training. So now you're looking to cover the remaining four and a half hours on these types of food. And yeah, those days are going to be some gels, those um, some bars, excuse me. But even there, go for bars that are more natural, where the ingredients list isn't 600 things, it's five or six things. And it, there's plenty of great product out there. Um, I'm a Cliff Bar proponent, but that's also I'm a little biased. But the picky bars are amazing, and there's so many good bars. I out love there. the Honey Stinger stuff, the waffles, yeah. just yeah. because they're pretty easy. 
um, for me, I'm again, gluten-free. So my choices are a little bit more limited and all the fruit and nut ones don't always work for me. But if we go through that, I'm but, sorry, I just want to finish that. Uh, the thousand calories on a bike and run. Great. Well, if you're doing a six hour training day, plus you're an ultra endurance athlete, you're already at a four to 5,000, maybe even that day, 6,000 calorie need. If one fifth, a quarter of your day is these types of calories, but the other three quarters is good, real yeah. cooked food, it's not going to be a big difference. It's like Emily said, during the week, if you're also every day doing bars and gels. And right. But if your meals want- are laden with um, extra sugar and sauces and um, not high quality proteins and fats, um, then the bars, it all adds up. Um, yes. So, you know, eating keeping the meals as clean and nutrient dense as possible and then not worrying about you know the little extras that you have to do for training i mean that's the takeaway here right on these these last two emails i would say put more thought into what you're eating when you're not training in order to carry good clean nutrition into your training so you 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 pretty much are covered um, for during the week and then you work through the astronaut food. Even there, it's getting better so that you can have some better choices for that. So we'll dive into the next email. All right, let's dive into some more questions. Now we're going to move on to some Instagram. And a lot of this we probably have covered already. Hi, Chris. I'm, inst- I'm Instagram. I'm interested in the best approach for losing those final two to three kilograms, lowering your body fat to 10 or less percent for endurance athlete. What is the best and most safe approach? Huge greetings from Serbia. Well, before I allow the nutritionist to get into this part, the challenge here that I would push back on you, the questioner, the asker, is we are not looking, um, if you're doing your endurance training right and you are taking care of your body right, this is a question of your body settling into the percentage of body fat it needs and wants to be at in order to be successful and healthy and do the work it will need to do. Focusing on a number is not what athletes do. That's what you do when you exercise. But athletes do not focus on a number. They focus on how their body is performing and where their weight and their lean muscle mass and such settles in for them to be successful so that's my response (laughs) on that but emily gladly shoot me down for me i um i understand you know questioning five to ten pounds or why it doesn't the weight doesn't seem to move when you feel like you're eating properly and exercising and training um and it, again, I don't want to sound like a broken record in saying this is all individual. I'm just saying it could it be... It is all individual. That's how I face my, <laughs> all my coaching. <laughs> well, that's the that's the reality. Chris and I see things the same way. Um, I see nutrition the same way. And the last ten to, 5 to 10 pounds could be a variety of things. Um, and giving one straight answer, again, would be um, naive to believe that that could work for everybody. Um it could be stress. I don't know what your lifestyle is at all. Um, so depending where the weight is being held, it can be stress. Um, it can be adrenals. It can be inflammation because um, maybe the foods or something isn't working for you. Um, 
it could be blood sugar regulation, it could be metabolism, it could be thyroid, it could be a thousand things. So um, that's where I work with individuals individually to see what you're currently doing, um, where we could make some tweaks and changes. Um, you know, looking at the ratio of the macronutrients that you're eating um, could play a role. You know, maybe you know a little bit more fat, more protein, and a little less carbs would work for you. Or maybe you're not eating enough carbs. There are um, athletes that try to cut them out and therefore can't get the nutrients to where they need to go. Um, so again, not a straight answer for you as far as making that work, but exploring how you're feeling, what you're currently doing, and either asking me or another professional or um, starting to tweak things in a systematic way. Well, around that of systematic way is something that we recommend to everybody and is a great takeaway for in a situation like this when you're looking for those last five to 10 pounds, even though I threw the disclaimer on it, do a food log. Notice what you're eating and you oftentimes, not you, anybody, most of us recognize in our food log, if we're honest, where there's some... <laughs> yeah, I can. I make everybody do a food log on an app that um, it's share, shared with me. Um, and it therefore breaks down the nutrients and we can see where nutrient Mostly deficiencies... Most do that too. Yeah, but um, the one I use is a little bit, yeah. More, yeah. Well, more from professional and better. Exactly. Um, but I make everybody do a food log for this purpose of um, many people tell me what they eat and then when they fill out their food log it looks nothing like it and it's not because I think people are lying to me but I think in a sense they they kind of lie to themselves they just don't they don't realize what they're eating or have a concept of you know especially not especially but sometimes you know plant-based people oh I'm getting protein and beans or I have plenty of protein sources well you do but those protein sources aren't very big um, so when you see it in a food log um, in a computer program, you can see, oh yes, it's, I'm it's really missing, mi- really numbers. missing some yeah. nutrients here, or I'm missing, um, you know, there's there's empty areas in my diet. So I would suggest yes, doing that. Um, and if you you know can always reach out if you need um, recommendations on programs to use. Um, that would help you do that and that would be a place to start and with that just like a training log i would keep notes you know how do you feel do you feel bloated do you feel gassy do you have a bowel movement every day you know these things will help you or understand also, your besides those aspects also how did i feel in my work and working how right? did i sleep how did it have an impact on my yeah. recovery i'm always from the <laughs> yes. training athlete side but the but our nutrition affects all the other aspects of training training and mobility sleep recovery regeneration strength all the aspects that we talk about even mindset that's mm-hmm. the crazy thing good nutrition affects your mindset your ability to do this training and you might wonder well what do you mean mindset well if you're not eating enough or your low blood sugar your motivation changes as well as your moodiness changes. You might burn bridges with coworkers and spouses because you're so hungry and you need a Snickers bar. But So keep that in mind. Fuel ties into everything we do. Everything. It's the foundation. Yep. All right. 
So I think we answered that one. I have a, we're back to some of the intermittent fasting stuff and I got some updates here too with that. Um, I was curious, hi, hi Chris and Emily. I was curious if you could shed some light on the time-restricted feeding or intermittent fasting and if it has any endurance benefits. So we did discuss a little bit that early on, but let me just answer that part. It has no endurance benefits. It, 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 the training... So, right, like Emily's giving me a look. Like, what are you talking? about? I don't about? like when he does absolutes. That I, there are no tr- benefits. But defining endurance benefits, yeah. you train your body, and you look for adaptation, stimulus via the training, adaptation. The food isn't going to have the. It supplements the training adaptation. Um, yes, it is not the adaptation, and so you are adapting to something else if you are intermittent fasting in order to maybe as we did increase the time for the max time so you're adapting from 16 to 18 to 24 hours then to do a max but let's be clear around that if it has any endurance benefits no it has benefits with regards to resetting your system it has endurance benefits from giving your system a break maybe that you then can train better when you kick out the other side. Yes. Yes, I don't think in tandem we're yeah. seeing. Exactly. I mean, I, you could answer the question, and you know, I think you've done this with some athletes before, and maybe this is again another podcast. But well, there's a doing training podcast, on fasting, fasted, and then you know to get certain training benefits. I know you've done that oh, yes, before, yes. So, so that may be a different question. Yeah, let's answer that. There's definitely. That you not necessarily fasted, but well, that, that you we, want to be ready that right. if you don't have your nutrition or something goes wrong, that you don't freak out, right? And you, let's say on in an Ironman you drop your nutrition and you don't want to do the core stuff because let's see, say you are gluten free or something like that, and now you can't eat the nutrition on the course. So how many hours? So you want to be able to overcome that, be be familiar with the bunking sensation, be familiar with the blood sugar drop like that and that response and sort of work your way through it until you can get solutions. Yeah. Um, also, just to, to teach yourself how far into your day you can go. The interesting thing for me when I wore the um, glucose monitor was also to learn how long I can train without fueling myself because I could observe the numbers dropping or in my case, obviously. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. One of the questions I get a lot is... Um, you know, early morning workouts, do I need to eat before then? And I can't eat and then do a run right after. And I don't want to get up an hour before, you know, and that is, that, that is hard. And I have to say, you know, Chris and I do that time to time, go to an early morning workout and we don't eat until after, but But I also different workouts, individual weekday workouts, or for some people, just in general, the, the shorter workouts is a different discussion than the long. And it's also a different discussion depending if you are healthy around or if there is a condition we are trying to fix in many cases then we do have to sort of fuel before or whatnot so there's so many different variables but there is a difference and there is again a time and a place that that can work um if so how can it be incorporated into the training schedule we talked about that like on low volume days yes that is more like it then somebody else chimed in on that. This is such a great question. Please respond to this one. Intermittent fasting has so many health benefits, but it does it have a place in daily triathlon training? I think we answered this. Let, let me be clear. We are not saying, or I am not saying, that 
intermittent fasting doesn't have a health benefit. I'm definitely a proponent of it. We're um, saying, I think, mixing fasting with endurance training, one part is suffering. It's a very it's, delicate It's difficult to get in thing. all the nutrients in that window and to support, properly support your training depending on what time of the day you train, etc. I was speaking to an athlete, a new athlete yesterday, and he has some pretty big goals. He's a Kona guy and also some other things. And I always kept all his questions with regards to what we want to do and how to schedule a season and so forth is always around, well, what is your desired outcome? What are you looking to achieve? What is your why? And the same thing happens with this. Like intermittent fasting, what's our outcome? And as we said earlier, what's the intention? What do we want to get out of this? And then being pretty clear and strict with that. If you start mixing in too many desired outcomes yeah. into the intermittent fasting, well, now we're playing with too many variables. And that's what I'm saying, what? double dipping and reaching it. You yeah, can't exactly. do too many things at once. Um, hi, Chris. Is there a sweet spot of calorie density in the food during a race? Um, no. I'm not. Uh, this is one of those where it. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to answer this one too in depth because we already know that you should be testing and simulating and understanding your own needs. Um, this is a question. Um, is there a perfect percentage of fibers for a prolonged delivery of energy? Again, this is up to you and your gut and your training and your ability and your knowledge with how your body responds to certain calories. Now, remember, certain calories, just because you hit a calorie number in the, the bars or in your equation, how many carbs are in those calories? How many proteins are in those calories? So I often come across athletes that say, oh, Chris, well, I had a 350-calorie bar. And I'm, I usually know once you're at those numbers, there's some protein involved in that. And so if a thicker, heavier protein bar during exercise is not ideal for, train, uh, for the calories we need. We need more carbs during. And so all these little aspects are important for you, the athlete, to understand the why, right? I'm not just getting in calories during, I need to get in the right calories and the ones that my body can absorb and use for performance. Um, I'm in the process of training for a marathon, but also focusing on losing excess fat in my run-up. What's the smartest and the most effective balance to accomplish this in a healthy way? Now, the key there is in a healthy way. And I think it is important for you to keep in mind, are you training for a marathon or are you focused on losing weight? Okay. Now, I, it didn't, I just, I know, I know. It didn't say <laughs> that you're, you're looking to lose weight. It says losing excess fat in your run-up. I get that. We want to run a little bit lighter. But my response to all of you is always, Allow the body to catch up with the training that it's doing, the metabolism to settle into what it's doing. Allow the lean muscle mass to develop, which is a very long-term process, and see how your body settles in. If this is for your first marathon or you haven't done a marathon in many years, allow this first one to just go through the cycle in a healthy, the body is doing its thing without you trying to also lose its weight lose weight because there's two things happening there we're getting fitter and stronger which means the demands for calories and good nutrition has gone up but 
if we're then also trying to get lighter for the event, injury likelihood off balance with regards to adrenals and hormones and all that can quickly happen and we want to be very smart around this. So what I would recommend here is go through the training cycle, observe how you're doing, observe where the body settled in with weight and even from the previous question with lean muscle mass and percentage of fat and then evaluate from there for your next marathon or for your next event how you want to address maybe running lighter. What I see all the time is the idea and concept that you start out, you pick a marathon to train um, for in hopes to lose weight using that as your thing. And you get in, stuck in this idea of, I'm going to train more and eat less. And so then you end up hungry all the time. And because you're trying to cut calories, then you end up snacking and eating junk food because you're starving. Um, and not necessarily so, junk food as the we, we know, but just not good quality that's, again, helping your, you know, it's not French fries and Oh, yes, it cheese. is. <laughs> the stuff I see is. Um, and or the, it's, also it's what sugar. you said before, the justifying the training with junky foods. It is, it is, they're typically sugar-based or simple carbs because when the body's hungry or not satiated, that's what it craves. Mm-hmm. Um, so people have less um, restriction around that because they're just hungry and then they think, well, I'm training, so I need to eat, so I better eat. And that but yet they've the been athlete's mindset that we right. said. But they've been holding back exactly. on their meals because they think that a smaller meal and train more and they'll lose weight. Whereas, again, get that solid meal um, with you know a healthy dose of protein, which you know can be up to 30 grams of protein for individuals. Um, per meal and when you start adding that up then and get that in first so you eat your proteins first eat all your veggies and stuff next um, and carbs um, and complex carbs you know um, the sweet potatoes the brown rice quinoas stuff like that um, and eat your meal and then you'll find that you sh- you're not starving so then you're not eating the junk food and likely um, the weight will stabilize and be where you want it to be but I think the idea that I'm going to train more and eat less, that does not work. Very dangerous. And it, it, it will backfire. And um, Yeah, you're not only going to last so long in, in any type of sport if you're, you're double. But I see that, like that all the time. Oh, yeah. And, you know, what's important also, and many of my athletes hear this from me in person, but also in general I speak of this. First, do all the training. Do all the training required for a marathon or ultramarathon or Ironman. Because if you're doing all the training, again, then your caloric needs and how your body responds to it will settle in differently than if you're not doing all the training. And then because you're not doing all the training, you start thinking, I need to restrict the calories, right? Oftentimes that imbalance really causes... Yeah, and if you're doing all the training and you're noticing that you're hungry all the time, again, reevaluate your meals. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to eat the good stuff and up the good stuff um, and hopes to get rid of the junky, snacky food. All right, uh, last few here. I think we're getting on similar themes, and that's why I want to be smart here with time. What are some of the best practices for an athlete to undertake in a multi-day fast? We talked about that. While maintaining some or all of their training load, we talked about that. Um, 
specifically in regards to when and where is the best to fit into a training plan. One thing we did not talk about is could you do a fasted day once a week, let's say on your recovery day? I've heard that theory before, yeah. and I have my opinions there too. So you go first. Yeah, I thought about this earlier while we were talking. Um, again, I, gut feeling. I ha- we we haven't played with this too much. Um, gut feeling on that is, I would prefer you set aside specific time, like once one week a quarter, or one week every six months, or one week to start the year, whatever, um, and designate that time versus trying to fit in a 24-hour fasted day, my guess is over the long term in training, you would put yourself in a deficit. It took us a couple days to get back to feeling good training mm-hmm. after fasting like that. Um, so I think you know if you did that repeatedly, say you do a huge workout and then you just the day before because you know your next day is a rest day and oh, that's the day you're going to do a fast. Well, you may not, by not fueling yourself properly after that big workout day, you're not going to properly recover and then be prepped for your next workout. Yeah. And, and so my, my recommendation at this point, again, just going off of our own experience and thinking and set aside designated time. You know, I think, again, I think a 12 hour fast is, every day would be great. Yeah. <laughs> 14 occasionally is fine. Um, once you're getting into 16, 18, 24, you're, yeah. I think, cutting so your chances. My thoughts there. Recovery day is a regeneration day. I don't know about how all of you work, but on my recovery days, I am he super He eats all hungry. day long. <laughs> I'm super hungry <laughs> and I'm constantly eating. So that's number one. But what Emily said too, and and, and we want that to... I need that day to replenish, rebuild, regenerate again in order to enter into the rest of the week then after that recovery day, uh, rebuilt and ready to take on the stresses of the training. So that's one thing. But then also what I like what Emily just said is if you have the proper intention around when you want to do your fast, everything you do, you start paying more attention because you're immersed in it. One thing I noticed about us when we did our one week fast was that I paid attention. I was immersed in it. I was mentally in the entire week. It wasn't just one day on a recovery day. It was, all right, how am I feeling? How am I sleeping? I could take notes. I was just more present because it is a week-long process. It was a full-on dive in. And again, like you said, just a one-off day here and there, I don't think the effect and the learning of what how our body is responding, how we're all doing all the things is um, is valuable. Yeah. So. And just so you know, I, I don't necessarily think a one-week thing to... I mean, for me, I did a two-week two, two week cleanse. Yeah. Um, well, you did a cleanse. And, prior. Uh, I did... Uh, I started cleansing the week before, yeah. so leading into the fasting was pretty easy for me. Um, anyway, many ways to do it. It depends on your intentions and your purpose for doing it. All right. Um, Do you have any shortcuts? Don't like that question already. Shortcuts for determining rate of electrolyte replenishment, especially for longer races where sweat rates change with the day's temperature and sun exposure. Um, David, (laughs) I get to call you out since you submitted the question and we work together. Um, 
based off of simulations and getting ready for the event that you're getting ready for, you should have tested this in the proper environment and temperatures and situations that your race might be in. When one tolerates their nutrition, spring energy in this case, well, is what, what is the recommended serving size? What is your recommendation on serving size? Carbohydrate to replace 30 per, or 40% of total calories burned or some other approach? Um, this is a, actually an interesting number with regards to if we're doing our 200, in your case, David, knowing you needing about 200 to 220 calories an hour, 30 to 40%, not of total calories burned. That's just a number to get a sense of where you're empty, but you can't use that number to on how to replenish. What David's referring to is, for example, on your watch or more accurately on your um, power meter, you see the calorie expenditure. I don't trust the watch yet. It's too inconsistent with caloric needs, but the ones, the power meters with force times speed versus just burning off of a heart rate burn based off of your age and the variables in a watch, um, power meters give you a, a, a more precise input on caloric burns, kilocalories versus a kilowatt, uh, and it ties into a formula. There you can get a sense of 30% of what uh, um, your burn rate is, let's say 1,000 per hour, so therefore you need about 300 calories an hour in order to replenish, to keep up, but that's not realistic to be able to eat that much. So it's just a guideline, it's a number, and it allows us to continue to triangulate into what truly is a number that we should be thinking about. The other thing to keep in mind, it's an ultra endurance event. Our needs at two to three hours is different than our needs at 10 to 12 hours, is different than our needs at 18 to 20 hours for a 100 mile run. So those are the things we wanna observe and learn about as and be ready for on event day. We don't practice and simulate a 20 hour training run but we want options in our um, uh, drop bags or with our crew so that then when we get to that point, we have a variety of different food choices and we can listen to our body because we've learned over the months of training what salty desire means, what sweet desire means. So, and Emily can go into what that means if you're having certain sensations. So you taught me that. Salty means... Yeah, and that's um, on a daily basis. You know, when people tell me they have cravings, I use that as information. Um, typically, you know, people that care, crave salt, your body is really smart and it tells you what you need. Um, most times, again, <laughs> with this caveat that you've been eating processed foods and your taste buds and chemicals are a little bit altered. But for the most part, the body is will tell you what it needs and craving salty foods, if that tends to be where you typically go, you might be low on minerals. Um, you know, craving sugary, carbohydrates, simple foods like that. Um, you could, you know, like I said, be low on proteins and fats because you're craving, you're hungry, your body's hungry. Um, and when we're hungry, like I mentioned earlier, we crave simple foods because that's the quickest um, energy source for our bodies. Um, you know, there's many other indications of certain cravings, but that's the gist. Yeah. Your body tells you what you need, so pay attention to cravings. Then uh, David also asked about Zach Bitter's ketogenic diet approach, but that we discussed earlier. What a professional athlete does and how they care for their body 
and all the inputs that they're not sharing with, not that they don't want to, but it's part of the bigger picture and profile of having all the time in the day to deal with this and to pay attention to it and to monitor adaptations and training progression and how it has an effect is not the, the, the realm of what we're talking about here. We're working athletes, we have families, we have children, we have communities, we have work, professional well, and again, life. Yeah, sometimes those ketogenic diets or something, they are um, rotated through for a therapeutic effect or, you know, for this effect, I don't, um, you know, maybe some training. Yeah, he has but carbohydrate, heavy carbohydrate for hard workouts on, you know. Yeah, um, but it doesn't mean when he's not in peak season, I don't know, again, I don't know his story in depth enough but for many people um they're not ketogenic all the time oh no it cycles in and out and has its purpose and it you know for back to what we said the average person the average person or something it would be used for a therapeutic um, approach and again too we haven't discussed too much but men and women are different and their needs are different and the way a ketogenic works with a woman and a man are (laughs) unfortunately for us women very different very different and again zach having the time to focus on this and play with different performance outcomes we're talking at the highest of highest levels and if we want to get into a discussion around that last one percent where he's going for the world 24 hour uh, world 100 mile record or world 24 hour distance record and you need that last one percent it's a different conversation and it's a different willingness to experiment than what we're trying to do and that is have the best possible outcome at a future event and longevity in the sport yeah longevity exactly longevity in the sport for him as well though I mean willing to risk future outcomes for today's best possible outcome in his case as a pro athlete absolutely right Um, talk to the entire NFL about that but so all right, last question. Um, I think we've covered a fair amount with intermittent fasting and during and pre and post and how to fuel and so forth. Um, looking forward to listening to that podcast. I try to stay away from astronaut food, like you call it. Of course, the longer the event, the harder it gets to eat normal food as digestion gets uh, as digestion cannot always function properly due to intensity slash duration of the physical effort. Correct. Do you have some carb loading? Do you have, do you do some carb loading phase a couple of days before your ultras? A taper classic protocol of depletion, then a carb load phase? <laughs> well, this is a good question because I have done that before. And back in my early Ironman triathlon days, I would say 2003, 2004, I did mess around with that. Eating high on protein, low on carbs, I would say eight to nine days out for about three days, and then switching over to high on carb, um, just high on carb and supplementing with proteins and fats um, going into the event. I would be able to say from my experience, I did not notice enough of a difference. I just listened to what my coach was telling me and I did not observe any benefit other than it was a pain in the booty to be in Kona and try to just 
focus on different meals when there's all kinds of other good foods around. So um, anything you want to add to that question? Because I was going to quickly break into um, my Attilo lead up, what I'll do this week so that to share that. But the question was around yeah, um, as I'm... we go from astronaut food, or we're, we can't avoid the astronaut food the further we go into it. And we touched on it a little bit earlier, but... Yeah, the carbo-loading or... Um... I do think there's some research, and again, I would have to go back. I haven't, um, it's just sort of what's coming to mind on doing that a little bit, but the traditional carb loading of just eat a bunch of pasta the night before or something I think is out. And I also think um, it depends on what your diet's like and how much of a shift that is for you. I know that if I would, you know, suddenly shift to a couple days of just high carbs like I would feel like crap um so again I think it it, it's you know it's all relative and maybe a little bit of a more mindful shift towards you know maybe eating some extra you know an extra serving of brown rice or the extra potatoes or you know a couple extra stuff along with your normal meals I think is probably not a bad idea but consciously flipping yeah I think you might end up feeling pretty crappy um at it going in but that's yeah. just off the top of my head and i would have to do more yeah as, <laughs> as you're shifting around very... on the couch <laughs> sorry because... getting quite <laughs> stiff yeah with that like um but that being said for um attila this weekend today is wednesday um, the plan there would probably be to just start thinking about nutrition as I in- enter into Friday. Um, yeah, and that's just, I mean, making sure that he's getting um, quality meals and, you know, really satiated. Like I find sometimes right before a race or if, especially if there's travel um, or you're packing up, sometimes it just time gets restrained and limited and meals get quick or shorter Um as well as in the taper, people don't want to eat a lot. Yeah, and I think that's it. And I guess that's what I would recommend when you're eat the same, even though you're likely training exercise, less. Training less. Um, I don't do that. I always. You don't do what? In my taper, I actually continue to eat more. Yeah, that's um, because I, mean. I know I'm about to enter into what I call. I just to me, it's yeah, a battle and, I, yeah. and my, of many hours of. Of, of, of a battle in regards to the endurance activity and so I want to be topped off healthy and that's what I mean just continue to the couple of days eat the eat the same even though you're training less yeah. and so not necessarily increasing your amount of food yeah. but your training is less so it should all balance out and instead of what I see most often is not eating as much because they're not training as much and worried about the calories and forget that that's, yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, and so Friday I'll do that. And then Saturday I fly down there, and I'll have sort of an off morning um, with travel and getting up early. And uh, so boots on the ground in LA around ten. So I will work in that two-hour window to get some food and sit down and accept the meal. And what I mean by that is sit there and take a moment to just in a slower manner 
eat my a good healthy. eat mindfully eat mindfully maybe not as mindfully as emily wants me to sometimes with counting 15 chews between <laughs> so that i taste the food but um important here is and why i'm bringing it up is i don't want to eat while i'm moving or on the run um, i want to sit and allow my body to digest and take in the calories and the fuel for what will be a long day um, we're then taking a boat over to catalina then we have race meetings and registration so i'm worried that my meals will be off and, and that's what i'm saying prioritizing the nutrition and taking that into account in the travel in the prep the nutrition is part of the prep yeah. and recovery so then we will i will also work then with the guys i'm heading over there with as well as my athletes knowing that the restaurants on catalina are quite uh, limited um, restricted because not everything's open at this time of year um, late february early march and the reservations will probably be packed that we will have enough things or options that we will bring with us to even then still have a decent meal um, for that evening if need be an emergency plan i would say and with that because i have to buy our breakfast anyway and uh, not our breakfast that i'm buying for everybody but i mean that we have to plan on bringing our own breakfast because we're staying at a house um, we'll, we'll prep that in the morning so that will be part of going to the store and therefore I'll have an emergency set up for the evening. Um, yeah, and then race evening, the evening before race night, I would uh, I will eat a lot of food. Um, not that I'm loading, but I'm also just making sure. And again, sure but he's used to eating a lot of food. I'm so used he... to eating a lot of food and what I do is <laughs> I eat earlier um, so that I'm not going to bed on a super full stomach and then I'll have a snack. Um, a little bit later in the evening, let's say I'll eat a big meal around five and I'll have a snack around 7.30 and then go to bed on a full stomach. I'm not full by feeling uncomfortable, but full. And then race morning, I'll have around 800 to 1,000 calories. Most likely it'll be oatmeal with some almond butter or peanut butter and some fruit in it and, uh, and a cup of coffee. And I can easily get in a thousand calories on my oatmeal with some almonds and some fruit and some honey and some, might even throw some collagen in there. And uh, yeah, and then during, um, they have aid stations, but we'll take gels and chews. It's a five hour event. So being prepared for that off of a big breakfast, I need to fuel for three and a half hours, basically, um, knowing I need about 250 ish an hour so i will need to bring about a thousand calories with me for the race um, and that'll be easy to put in the, the the belt under the wetsuit so from there that that would be how catalina will go i'll hydrate properly i'll um, have some electrolytes i'm obviously doing it with the founder and owner of precision hydration so i don't think electrolytes and drink will be, he will the be well hydrated <laughs> and that'll be that so plus that i mean that leads into one of the questions we talked about earlier with knowing your hydration and electrolytes i mean precision hydration it is a way to yeah absolutely that. and we've talked about that with the sweat test and everybody's different needs there too so and we can talk more about that on the, yeah. on the next nutrition podcast but all right well that was our first nutrition podcast
Thank you. <laughs> we talk so much about this. If we had half the stuff we talk about recording, I know we, we could we could just keep going. But that's most every topic that we uh, have on the podcast. I can talk about this stuff all day. That's why all the podcasts are now two hours instead of one hour. Yeah. So, all right. Thank you, Emily. You're welcome. Okay. Well, that was the nutrition podcast on the Weekly Word podcast. I hope you all enjoyed having Emily on. It was sort of a broad conversation. Um, we did cover a few topics around intermittent fasting and pre and uh, during loading, as well as training for racing and so forth with regards to fueling, um, everyday lifestyle maybe. But we have many, many topics and many emails to go through. There's probably a good two years of podcast questions that have come up over the years that are more nutrition focused that I've saved in a folder that we'll want to address um, some from just last time alone around fat adaptation and fueling around that approach and for ultra endurance athletes in general, how to um, assist and improve your fat delivery as energy. And we will dive into that next month. So the rotation will be more around once a month having Emily on, once a month having a guest on, and the other two times a month, if I can properly get the podcast out there on a weekly basis, the weekly word, and will be me going into some mindset topics, but also answering your emails and what's happening in the current events of things, which gives me this window to talk more about in our closing where we are currently. I'm about to leave for Catalina to do that swim run. We'll get this nutrition podcast up for you. Um, and please give me feedback. Let me know what I was missing, what you'd like to hear more of. If you'd like to have Emily on the show more frequently and uh, us talking about this topic, gladly. I know that there are some topics in there that are not necessarily controversial, but that you might not agree with. And we tried to take a pretty wide approach with um, nutrition because, you know, we're trying to address so many people that listen to this and also take a nutrition approach in an ultra endurance space and want the best possible outcome, performance and intentions, as we talked about plenty on this episode. Some quick admin stuff. Um, the camp is full. Um, we have a few dailies that we're taking on, all 12 slots for the training camp are full and I have a few local people as well as a few other people who are by coincidence in town who are going to take part for um, a day or so. Then the AIMP jerseys are in. Um, you might, might have had an opportunity to see them on the website. They look amazing. I'm going to put up some pictures on Instagram here in the next few days, but Costelli did a great job with them and I'm excited to Share those with you. Everybody at the camp gets one for free, um, and then anybody else can buy them. And they're, you know, they're pretty affordable. Um, I'm trying to keep it so that I'm basically covering my cost. And I would love for more of that jersey to get out there because a they look cool and be um, part of our community and what we're trying to represent, and that is helping you achieve your ultra endurance goals despite going pro and something other than. The sport we're doing. All right. Well, have a great week, everybody. I hope you enjoy this podcast. Please, as always, share your feedback and your ideas and your improvements and what we could avoid next time. And I will try to 
include that as we continue to move forward with the Weekly Word podcast. All right. Thank you and have a great week.